to review quickly the first, ne the first book of Nephi. First of all, we saw in the first verse the family, <laughs> excuse me, well loaded with cultural bag baggage, the time of a major cultural transplant, we saw that. And the key, the key name to that period, to Lehi's period, for all Western civilization is Zarathustra. This is a recent well, it wasn't until the 1920s, Professor Yeager, Vanner Yeager, was the first one to point it out, that the philosophies of Plato and Aristotle are replete with the teachings of Zarathustra, who was another contemporary of, of Lehi. And uh, they see this from the Iranian, the Avestan Iranian centers, it spread all to the east, and, and already it was, uh, it was completely at home in, uh, in the schools of the west, and in, uh, oh, incidentally, the, uh, read in the Midrash, well, of course, this is the typical legends, of course, that Zarathustra followed the teachings of Abraham. Uh, but you know, you all know Nietzsche's famous work, Azosbach Zarathustra, and you all know, all know the introductory phrases to uh, 2001, when Strauss does that miraculous thing with a simple C major chord, da, 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 bam! Remember how it starts out? Well, that's Azosbach Zarathustra right out of the Book of Mormon. Now, uh, and that he had good parents and a good education. It was a good, it was a good representative education. It included not only his own culture and religion, the learning of the Jews, but also the language of religion, which was dominant of the Egyptians, but was dominant world language in all that area that day, to, at that time, to a far greater degree than people have realized heretofore. Now, the choice of the Book of Mormon, verse 4. There came many prophets preaching that that great city of Jerusalem, they must repent or be destroyed. Now that's the alternative offered us throughout the Book of Mormon. Here's a computer offprint of all the passages on repentance, calling for repentance in the Book of Mormon. There are, go on and on and on, there are 456 times the word destruction appears. That's the theme. It opens up or be destroyed, and of course the Book of Mormon ends on that theme. You find it all the way through. 456 times in the book. And repent, that's the other one, 360 times. They're almost always mentioned in the same breath as it is here. You have your choice. You can repent or you can be destroyed. When the, this is the way the Lord deals with his chosen people. Others are not bound by that rigid rule. They go on forever, and this is a surprising thing. We think about Zarathustra and so far. The Iranians, the Persians, being just as crazy today as they were in his day. And, uh, oh, he talks about them, too. He, he uh, rebukes their stupidity and so forth. That's certainly the thing that, that's the main theme that Nietzsche takes up when he, when he writes Azo Sprach Zarathustra. But uh, other nations are still there. The Greeks are still there, and just as Greek as ever. It's marvelous to go. You, you know you're in Greece all over the place, uh, visiting uh, relatives of, uh, of Jimmy Nakos and go up in Thebes there. He had just died, the old man just died at the age of 100, and they had a funeral. Oh, you think Greek Orthodox Church, but what did they do? They brought vases and jumped, beautiful attic vases and urns and put them on the grave. The old classic motifs, and you'll see on all the graves in the cemeteries, in the rural cemeteries, uh, less of crosses than you'll see of, of beautiful classic vessels uh, holding uh, milk, food, and things like that. Just the same old stuff. But anyway, the, uh, they're still going, and the Egyptians still going. Egyptians are as Egyptian as they can be. That's why they're such lovable people. They never resort to violence. They can help it. 
and to get along beautifully with each other. And so it's the oldest, most stable civilization in the world. Thousands of years been the same. Egyptians and the Arabs are the same, the lovable, obnoxious Arabs, the same as they've always been, fighting each other. And uh, the people of the North, the same thing. The, the, the Saugas, if you, if you read the, the same troubles up there, they've got more civilized than the others. But the point is, those nations were old when Lehi left Jerusalem. They were ancient then. But Lehi's people, everything in this country, continent is gone. The promise here is when they are fully ripe in iniquity, they will be completely swept from the land. They will be utterly destroyed. They'll be swept from off the face of the land. That's the promise for the promised land. And of course, this continent, the Western Hemisphere, is covered with ruins. Nobody has the vaguest idea who was here, what, anything about them at all. They've gone without a trace. The Mayans are still there. The Mayan people are still there among the Mayan ruins. But all the guesses, as what was Olmec and so forth, and when you go along the, the coast there, at uh, Hermosa, the, uh, nobody knows to this day. I mean, you, when you summarize everything that's known, it, it's ridiculous and it's all purely speculative and so forth. The thing is, the people here were disappeared and they disappeared without a trace, I mean, just gone. If you just go back to uh, the, uh, just go back to 19th century, you get some, some marvelous things. Uh, Boudinot, a Frenchman, wrote a work called The Star in the West in the 18. 20s, it was in 1820. But the descriptions of Indian life at that time in the eastern part of the United States, you get from Abraham Wood's diary, he lived among them and so forth, and from the founding fathers. Naturally, Washington, a very good friend of many of the great Indian chiefs, and remember he was worked back in the frontier in his youth there, and, uh, and Jefferson, but especially Franklin, uh, were always speculating about the Hebrew origins of the Indians. They had all sorts of information, and, and uh, so uh, you see what different people they were, what a strange culture and vanished without a trace. It's a thing that happens here, and uh, let that be a warning to us. But as I say, repentance 350 times and 458, and does this apply to us, we ask? Let me read a statement of Joseph Smith's here. These are statements from his, his teachings. Let me get these all mixed up. Sayings there. Uh, I have been carefully viewing the state of things. This is what he says in 1833. I have been carefully viewing the state of things. Well, well, now here we are. Throughout the Christian land, I have looked with feelings of the most painful anxiety, while upon one hand I behold the manifest withdrawal of God's spirit and a veil of stupidity, which seems to be, you notice there's the sense, there's the sentence of doom. It's not wickedness, it's this, that, or the other. You know you're gone when you're stupid. <laughs> it was worse than a crime, it was a mistake, as Talleyrand says. And it's a veil of stupidity, and you see it everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> you listen to debates and so forth, and why didn't the dead think of this? Or he had a marvelous opening there, and he missed it completely. And this goes on both sides, you see. Everybody floundering around these days. A veil of stupidity, which seems to be drawn over the hearts of the people. On the other hand, I behold the judgments of God sweeping hundreds of thousands of our race, I fear, unprepared down to the shades of death. See, this was 1833, at a time when revolution swept all of Europe. That's when Belgium became independent, and Holland and so forth. And the uh, revolution uh, failed in France. Uh, another one, you see. And then it wasn't until the 1840s, 48, they had the, the big one in, in Germany everywhere. But at 1833, the 1830s, at uh, this time, was a time of revolution all, all over Europe and uh, independence, you see, of the Scandinavian countries, Denmark and Sweden separated. All sorts of things are happening then. And uh, it, was, it was a hopeful time, but a 
a murderous time. I think it's high time for the Christian world to wake out of sleep and cry mightily to that God day and night whose anger we have justly occurred. I step forth into the field to tell you what the Lord is doing and what you must do in these last days. Now that presumptuous thing to say, but he had something to say. Christ proposed, now here's our Book of Mormon story, Christ, uh, Christ proposed to make a covenant with the Jews, but they rejected him and his proposal. The Gentiles received the covenant, but the Gentiles have not continued, but have departed from the faith. They have become high-minded, have not feared, therefore, but few of them will be gathered, and because but few were, actually. The nations of the Gentiles are hastily preparing, getting ready for the first stage of the part allotted to them when the Lord rebukes the nations. The Lord declared to his servants some 18 months since that he was then withdrawing his spirit from the earth. The governments of the earth are thrown into confusion and division and destruction to the eye of the spiritual beholder seems to be written by a finger of an invisible hand in large capitals upon almost everything we behold. Destruction, there's the word again. And isn't it interesting, we have this, uh, this love affair uh, with, the, with the mandatory explosion that has to end the, the, the police uh, series, <laughs> the daily cop show, car chase, and so forth. So there's got to be lots of violence. This, this insatiable appetite for violence we have now, you can't sell a TV program that doesn't have it. This fixation on violence, it's a, well, it's an ominous thing. I will proceed to tell you what the Lord requires of all people, high and low, in order that they may escape the judgments of God, which are almost ready to burst upon the nations of the earth. Repent of all your sins. There it is, destruction. The answer is repent. Not many years away, the United States shall present such a scene of bloodshed, of course the Civil War was moving in on them, as not had a parallel in the history of our nations. Pestilence, hail, famine, earthquake will sweep the wicked of this generation off the face of the land to open and prepare the way for the return of the lost tribes of Israel. So he goes on, repent, repent, is the voice of God to Zion. And strange as it may appear, yet it is true, mankind will persist in self-justification. Just as the Lord told Jeremiah, Jeremiah, call on these people to repent. I know they won't repent, you've got to call on them to repent. Same thing. May, mankind will persist in self-justification until all their iniquity is exposed, their character past redeeming. They'll say we've done no wrong, no matter what they've done. Hear the warning voice of God, lest Zion fall and the Lord swear in his wrath, the inhabitants of Zion shall not enter into his rest. Intemperance, immorality, extravagance, pride, blindness of heart, idolatry, loss of natural affection, love of this world, indifference toward things of eternity, increasing among those Latter-day Saints who profess to believe in the religion of heaven. Who but those can see the awful precipice upon which the world of mankind stands in this generation and can labor in the vineyard of the Lord without feeling a sense of the world's deplorable situation. Well, this one ends. Some may pretend to say that the world in this age is fast increasing in righteousness, that the dark ages of superstition and blindness have passed. The gloomy cloud is burst. He knew this line, you see. The gloomy cloud is burst. The gospel is shining, carried to the diverse nations of the earth. The idol is destroyed. The temple of image is forsaken and so forth. But a moment's candid reflection will suffice for every candid man to draw a conclusion in his own mind whether this is the order of heaven or not that we see. Well, you say 1833 is a long way ago and so forth and so on. Well, I haven't been teaching at the BYU very long, but shortly before I came here, I knew my great-grandfather, remember him very well, talked with him, he was very friendly. He was 22 years old when the prophet was martyred. That hasn't been a long time, you see. The prophet only lived a couple of years after he gave this, you see. And yet, 
there's only been that one generation between us, and I've seen the whole thing packaging. The, uh, we talk about the generation of the deadly wars. I remember so clearly the day the World War I began, just as clear. We played soldier all through that. World War II, we went out and played soldier in the same dirty lots and so forth later when it was in France that time. And uh, no, it was a chilling thing, you see, when we went to Mermelon after the Holland fiasco and at uh, Arnhem, we went back to Mermelon and we had to have a short rest there, but it was interrupted by uh, the bullets that break through there. <laughs>